So good evening, LCM. Today's date is April 18th. Our message is titled, He Wants to Win. Yeah. He Wants to Win. Our God and Commander King Jesus has been speaking to our congregation about lifting up our eyes. Somebody say, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. He's also been speaking about continuing in the way. Do you guys remember that teaching? Yes. And prevailing under trial. Pastor Matthew slap you with the Torah, Piro, preached a riveting word to us on Sunday about fixing your eyes. Did somebody in the room say, fix your eyes? Have you been practicing fixing your eyes the last three days on Christ? We're looking forward to continuing to expound upon the things that the pastors have laid down as a foundation and God is speaking to our congregation. Tonight our subject matter will be heaven's eyes and the character of our God. He wants us to win and will teach us how to stand firm no matter the situation. The church was born of heaven and it has been baptized in adversity. We will believe against all odds. The Spirit and the Word will be our guide this evening. We will learn how to both fully work in the Spirit and in the Word. This evening, we're going to take what we have learned and learn to apply it all over the earth in a way that is exponential. Yeah. You guys in Genesis 15? Church, we're not going to tell you nothing new, nothing you haven't heard. But if we take these things... And grab hold of them. And if you at right now ask God to show you what he's trying to tell you, to reveal it to you right now, and apply it to your life, we will move forward as a church. Amen? Genesis 15, starting in verse 4. says, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up. Y'all say look up with me. Look up at the heavens and count the stars. He's telling you to look up tonight. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur, out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Amen. I love Abraham. He's an extraordinary figure. He's the father of the faithful. And we consistently learn from his life so many years later. How to walk out our own trials and own tasks. In verse 4, it states that from the slave, the servant, the promise of God was not coming. Later in Genesis 16, we learn that from the son of the slave woman, God's promise is not coming. Galatians 4 tells us about this. But there would be a son that would come from Abraham's body that would redeem the world. John 8 even tells us that Abraham saw him and looked forward to this day. Said, oh, if I could, if he saw this day, how he would be delighted. Abraham, from this point, was looking forward to the day that God would send a redeemer, that he would send the Christ, that he would send one who would not only come to redeem men from their sins, but come to physically deliver his people from the earth and put to death the wicked. When we think about that promise, we need to think of the faith of Abraham as one that is an overcoming faith. You see, he was doubting in his soul. He's wondering, Is it going to be this servant of mine that is going to inherit this? Later we have Ishmael. But it says he looked up. He saw something in the heavens that began to change his eyes. And then it says that he believed. And I tell you, church, tonight that we need to look up. Yeah. We need to look up and let the heavens get inside of our souls. We need to let God's vision get inside of our eyes so that we can believe in the promises that he's given us. 
Is there a vision in this room that he has given you that you're struggling with seeing life in? See, I will tell you that the father of the faithful had the same problem. Mm -hmm. But there was one response to it. He looked up. We're going to look up tonight and begin to take on heaven's eyes so that we can see into the situations that we're in and see life breathed into it. He is moving amongst us. Amen. See, let's let's go back to the heaven's perspective. The perspective that Abraham had to have to leave everything he ever knew, to leave his family, and to move on from that, and to believe in his promise that the Lord gave him, and to move on from that, and to sacrifice, to be willing to sacrifice that promise. Abraham had a heavenly perspective. It talks about it in Hebrews 10. And you can imagine every time the Lord calls you to go up another level, to make that sacrifice. So he's calling you to do something that you don't think you can do. You can't imagine that you lose a little bit of confidence. But Hebrews 10.35 says, and you don't have to go there, I'll read it to you. He says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. The Lord, the Lord responds to faithfulness. And he knows us. He knows that we need encouragement. He knows that we need to hold on to his promises. So what does he do? He gives us to him. But then he also shows us his faithfulness. Later on in that same verse, he says, for just, for just in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay but my righteous ones will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. Abraham believed the Lord. And everything that he hoped for, everything that he held dear, was saved because he believed the Lord. You got you to look like here in, in Hebrews 10. It's dependent on your obedience. You have to persevere in doing what's right and doing what you know that the Lord has told you to do. And when you do that, it's sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that you will see the promise of the Lord. Amen. I want y'all to, to grab hold of something. The Lord wants you to win. Say, he wants you to win. He wants, win. He wants you to win. The Lord wants you to win. Amen. You know, we don't want to take away from the idea at all that if you shrink back, that he's not going to be pleased with you. Yeah. That there is one standard. That we work out our salvation through fear and trembling. All of those things are 100% true. And in this room right now, you have the ability to either look up and answer the call of God or let it pass you by. But there is another truth. And that truth is that he wants you to succeed in it desperately. We're going to drive that home this evening. That it is up to you whether or not you will see that promise fulfilled. The promise that was made to Abraham about the generations to come, see, that promise was unconditional. He promised him the land, and that was unconditional. But just like in the book of Joshua, we have to decide which ones of us, which of us are going to rise up, are going to take our stand, who are going to answer the call and have vision for what he's giving us. Yeah. Church, we want you to hear. He wants you to win, Mario. That he wants you to succeed. That Haley, he wants you to win. That the trials that you are wrestling with right now, that yes, we have to respond to the grace of God in our lives. But he did not redeem you, that he did not call you, that he did not change your entire life to then want you to fail. He is vying for you. See, has anybody ever had a brother, had a father, had somebody who was in your corner and was pushing for you to win? See, 
You know the difference between when nobody's on your side and when your father is there. We want to tell you tonight that your heavenly father is looking over your shoulder at what you're dealing with. And he is saying, I want you to win, son. I want you to win, my daughter. And he is going to help us and show us how to do it. Yeah. In Ezekiel 33, 11, he says that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says that he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. In Acts 17, 26 through 27, he says that he ordained the times and places that we would live in so that we might know him and reach out to him. See, if these things are true of the wicked, if they're true of the lost, how much more of a son of God in this room? Yeah. See, that I will go out of my way to save someone's life. I will go out of my way to redeem a child. But how much more my own? How much more the son that he purchased, that he bought, that he has stamped with his name and his Holy Spirit on your life? He takes no delight in your failure. Psalm 56, 13 says that he will deliver us to walk in the light of life. In Psalm 138, he declares that he will fulfill his purpose for us. In Psalm 39, 7 through 10, he is in the heavens. He is also in the depths. And the psalmist declares that whether I'm in the heavens or in the depths, that God is there and that his hand is holding me fast. In fact, his right hand is holding me fast. See, our God is one who is with us, who is with us in all trials, all circumstances. He's with you when you are not doing well. He's with you when you are doing well. But all of the time, the voice of God is behind us saying, I want you to be lifted up. I want your heart to change. I want to help you and show you how to do this. What we need to learn to do is to tap into that and respond to his life-changing power. Church, something changes when when you just stop. And we, we look at the word, we look at everything that God's doing. And you try to understand, you try to wrap your mind around who he is. Who is this God that's talking to me? Because when you do that, you allow the Lord to speak to you and yeah. to not just give you, not just show you how you to live, not just show you what to do, but he's showing you, he's revealing himself to you by his word, by his hand in your life. And and we know this to be a good God that is trustworthy. You know that that Word faith, we call it trust grounded obedience. Let's talk about that first word, trust. God wants you to trust him in all things, in all situations. And the faithful, we see in the word, have learned to trust in God, and God has has brought about every promise that he ever brought. Back in Genesis 15, if you're still there, in uh, in Genesis 15, let's talk about this for a little bit. bit. God is about to make a a covenant with Abraham. And he, he, he sets him into a deep sleep. I mean, a deep sleep. Can't get up. He fighting. He fighting disease. In 17, it says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. To your descendants, I will give this land, so on and so on. But let's think about that. He put him to sleep. A covenant is a deal made between two people. God said Abraham in a deep sleep yeah. to show him that the promise that I'm making to you, the promise that I'm making to you is not based on you. It's not based on, on, on who you are and your character. It's based on, on my name, my holy name, my character. Saints, I want to encourage you. Whatever you're fighting for, whatever you, you're straining at the oars for, it's fixing your marriage. It's getting shalom in your home. You're fighting for children. You're fighting for for shalom. You're fighting to be able to witness. You're fighting to to be who you know God wants you to be. You're straining for it. You're like, God, 
When will I ever be who you made me to be? When, when will I ever get to the place that you're calling me to? Do not give up. That is, that is not the Lord's plan for you. In John 5, he, Jesus talks about, he said that, that he knows the Father. Yes, right? He knows the Father. But then he said, to those who hear my word and believe, I will give eternal life. They will never taste death. They will go from death to life. And we saw this happen with Abraham. We saw his visions and his dreams go from death to life. His womb, uh, his, his seed was dead. He trusted in God. He brought it to life. When, when God called him to make that sacrifice, his son, he counted his son as dead. But he brought him back from life, figuratively speaking. This is the pattern that the Lord has showed us how we're to live and how we're to relate to him. God went to great lengths to show Abraham that he who made the covenant would surely keep it. This is not an excuse to become lazy, to wait on God. I, I'm going to trust that I'm talking to family right now and you're not going to take what I'm saying and twist it and basically say, oh, we're just going to wait on God. You know, we're not going to get up and pray when we're supposed to. We're not going to uh, go talk to that person when we know God has told us to talk to him. I can tr- I'm, I'm trusting that you're not doing that. And if you think of that, stop. It's a lie from the devil. Amen. Stop. Amen. But for the heart that, that wants to do God's will, for the heart that, that wants to be who God has called you to be, God has made a promise that if you put your trust in him, if you put your faith in him, that he will bring it to pass. He wants you to win. This promise was the same promise in Joshua, the same promise that Jesus talked about, and the same promise that Abraham received. He wants you to win. Turn to James 2 for me. We got to talk about what, what inspired what inspired Abraham to, to live the way he did? Well, the way I see it, it was marked by moving from place to place in faith, by building altars, and by calling on the name of the Lord. Obedience to God's word in faith, he presented himself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing like Romans 12 talked about. And he was dependent on the character of God to complete what he had started. Amen. James 2. James 2.21, it says, Was not our, an- our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. As he, and he, called, he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified not by faith alone. Abraham's trust in God's character so moved him to obedience that he was willing to sacrifice the promised son and would have done and would have done and would have had not the Lord stopped him and provided his own sacrifice instead, the sacrifice that we enjoy. When we see Abraham, we see a promise that it didn't stop with one man. Yeah. We spoke an awful lot about generational ministry, but what that patriarch had to do was look into the heavens and have vision for more than just his own life. You see, when he had vision, it was for his descendants. It was for those who would come after him. And what he did so inspired the next generation that we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that continued in that promise, continuing to build it up, continuing to raise up righteousness. We're going to read or skim through Exodus 33. I'll read it to you. So in Exodus 33, the second verse says, I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God displaying his faithfulness through this generation. 
Well, we pick up in the book of Moses, and we're speaking about, well, we pick up in Exodus with Moses. We're speaking about those descendants and the way in which that original promise was still true to that day. What they had to do is in their circumstances, in their situation, out in the desert, coming out of slavery, look and see what God had already promised to them. What has he already spoken to you in this room? What functions has he already told you about? See, we're preaching about God's vision. What we need is not a new vision. We don't have a lack of God speaking to us. We don't have a lack of hearing from God in this room. What we have are visions that he has given us that we must carry out. He is not the problem in our life. We are. What we need is more of his character, more of his eyes, so that we can see what he is doing. See, because back in, in Genesis 15... That promise to inherit the promised land was still true when we get to Exodus 33. In Exodus 33, it moves on in verses 13 and 17 and says, Teach me your ways so that I may know you and find favor with you. After all of the miracles Moses had seen, all he is concerned with is the favor of God. See, Moses' prayer here, when he is leading a huge group of people, making mistakes, dealing with trials, fighting with other nations, is... Oh, God, I just want to know you. Will you teach me your ways? Will you cause me to think like you think? Will you cause me to breathe like you breathe? Because if I can be like you, I will succeed in the situation that I am in. See, we don't need a new vision. We need to cling to the ones that God has already given us and become the men that we are made to be in that vision. I'm convinced that more and more in our prayer life, we ought to spend time praying, asking God, To give us his thoughts, his concerns, his emotions, his desires, and his wisdom. Because if we have the same thoughts, desires, and wisdom as him, when we show up in a situation, we will think the way that he does. We will have the eyes that he does that sees life inside of people. What we're going to do in this church is take disciples. And we're going to look into their life and what God is calling out of them and pull it out. See, what DJ needs is for men to see him and see what God is calling him to. And be able to speak that into life. What is happening in Michael Hall's life is he is being discipled. We all have strict correction that happens in our life. The word can be offensive and cutting. But the thing that is causing him to blossom and bloom is that men see his potential. That they see something in him that is inspiring him to want to rise to meet the occasion. See, our God is doing the same thing with us in this room. And he is calling us to rise to that occasion. But what we need to do is begin to have vision for the people that are around us. Have vision for our workplace. When we're witnessing to people, yes, we want to confront them with the truth. But we also need to be able to have vision for their lives when they're in a desert and where God wants to bring them to. Because he wants them to be in a promised land. He doesn't want to leave us to die in a desert. You remember what we read about the character of God earlier? He doesn't want you to perish. Do you remember? Yes. He doesn't want any man to fall away. In this room, he doesn't want any of you to fail in your vision. But like the prayer of Moses, we must begin to ask him to teach us his ways. Not just the specific details, but his character, his thoughts, his wisdom, the way that he deals with the world. After this, he says, I want to see your face. And what God does is he reveals his Hashem to him. He shows him some of his character and what he is. The representation of his body, of his work. And that's what distinguished Israelites was God's presence and his name from all other nations. Do you want to be distinct? Yes. Do you want to be mixed in with the crowd of Egypt? No. No. See, we're going to have light in Goshen and darkness in Egypt because 
We are going to be reformed by his character, his life, and his light inside of us. And that's what will cause us to prevail in this desert. Yeah. So I got a question for you. Do you see, just like a disciple can look into the disciple, a disciple and see the things that God has made him to be, you got an older man or somebody in your life who, who has pulled things out of you that you didn't think you had, that, that looked into you and saw something. Do you see God looking at you the same way with that, that, that discipler looks into that disciple? Do you see God looking at you the same way, pulling things out of you, wanting you to walk in the way, correcting you when you need it because Lord knows we need it. But do you see him working in you and do you see him having that faith in you? This is who God is. Who do you think we get faith from? He calls the things that aren't as though they are. So I got a question, another question. What's motivating your obedience? You know, what's, what's motivating you to strive for the promise of God? What's, what's motivating you to, to go to work and, and to, be a, to be a bold witness, to, to work hard, to, to, you know, to love your families, to, to raise disciples in your own home, to raise your kids? What's motivating you to do that? Well, maybe fear, obligation. You know this is the right thing to do. And God, God loves that we want to get it right. He loves that, that, that we're straining at the oars, that we, that we have a heart after him and we want to do his will. But in that, he has a gift for you, himself. He, he's making a, himself known to you. And making himself known to you is, is showing you the love that he has and the trust that you can put in him. That he is faithful. That he will not let you fall and not let you stumble if you hold on to him. Amen. This is the God that we serve. Y'all with me? Yeah. You with me? Yeah. Talk about Jesus. Talk about somebody who worked harder than all. Who who gave all. Jesus was with the Father before we were. He already knew him. So when he comes to this earth and God has has given him a task that he's gonna gonna show us the Father. He's gonna show himself to us through through Jesus. When he does that, then when he tells him that he's gonna go to the cross, when he learns this. You got to realize that Jesus isn't working to earn the love of the Father. He, he's not working his way up the totem pole. He already knows the Father's love. Amen. What's happening is Jesus, because he knows the Father, he has that love now inside himself. And now he's, he's adopted the, the, the eye that, that God has. So he has his eyes set on the thing that God has his eyes set on. And what happens? Salvation for the whole world. Yeah. The same thing happens. When we set our eyes on God, we, we, we stop setting our eyes on how we're doing, how we're messing up, how we're not doing, and we set our eyes on God to love him. When we love him, these things start to flow out of us. Amen. I, I realize, at least I'm talking about myself now. I'm, I'm, putting, I'm on Front Street. If you ain't going to put yourselves on Front Street, I'll put myself on Front Street. <laughs> I realize that my desperate desire not to get it wrong, that I, I, I want to do this right, it, it was good, and God could use that. But it's the flip side of that. It's a form of pride. Because I'm worried about how I'm doing. What am I getting wrong? What am I getting right? When it's not about me. The kind of, the kind of love that uh, inspires somebody to die for those who hate them, Jesus. You know, so the kind of love that, that will inspire somebody to leave everything they've known and, and wander throughout the wilderness. That love is not an obligation. That, 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 that desire to get it right, it's out of a reciprocation of the love that you see that, that person has for you. 
And that's the same thing that Jesus gave us. In Psalm 9, because right now, if, if you haven't caught the, the theme yet, we're talking about trust. If, if you take anything from this message, I want you to take away that with whatever you're going through, whatever situation, whatever struggle, however it looks, that you can trust God. That you can trust them in a real, in a meaningful way. In Psalm 910, it says, those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Those who know your Hashem. The Lord has not abandoned you to your trial, your lack, your desire to see his will done. He is teaching us how to trust him, church. Is he teaching you how to trust him? He's teaching me. He's showing me. I'm I'm a little mule-headed sometimes. It's take a while. But he's getting in there. He's making himself known to us. This is what I want you to take away. Every one of your problems are solved immediately when you are continuously on an ongoing basis knowing God. Going to that tent of meeting, like in Exodus 33, we didn't read it, but before Moses went up to the mountain in that tent of meeting, going to that place, that quiet place, and finding out who God is. And not just for everybody else, but finding out who he is to you, how he feels about you, what he wants from you. That kind of time with the Lord and that love that he's showing you will inspire you to be who God has called you to be. He's already made you to be like that. Amen? Amen. Everything in this present age is constantly working to chip away our confidence in what God is doing. It's just the truth of the matter. It's a constant psychological war. Either that it's not worth it, that you're not worth it, that you can't do it. But when we begin to take on the eyes of heaven, when we begin to take on God's perspective in realizing that he wants you to win, and we look at a broader perspective of what God is doing in our life in our church, it becomes astounding the rate at which he is revolutionizing us, the way that he's changing us, and it becomes astounding the number of lies that we have believed from the enemy that were spoken in just a moment of weakness. Listen now, the psalmist says this. This is Psalm 31. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and lie in silent in the grave. See, the psalmist doesn't say, my time. When he says times, he's speaking about those moments of despair. Those moments when the whole world has come crashing down on you that second. And he's saying, Lord, you know what those times are in advance. You know when those moments are coming. You know when those enemies are pursuing me hotly. When there's slander that came from a trusted source. When there's abuse that came from someone who should have protected you. In those moments when, like David, you're being persecuted... And everything in you is saying that this is not really working. When you begin to take on the eyes of God and realize that he is working on your behalf and that he wants you to win this, and you realize that these times are already in his hand, it ought to stir up in you a courage to act. Like Brother Linton said, we are not speaking about inaction and about sitting back and waiting for God to do it. We're speaking about having the courage to try, to fight, to go after it. You see... If we're more concerned about making sure that we don't get anything wrong than actually striving out in righteousness, we will never get anything done. What we need to do is understand the plan of God. We need to understand our function in the scripture. 
And we need to be praying in the Spirit on all occasions and let Him lead us. And don't give the devil the satisfaction of you sitting back because one of those times happened. you got to look at him and say, those times are already in my God's hand. Yeah. You hear me, devil? They're already in his hand. Yeah. Say it with me. He's in, it's in his hand. It's in his hand. It's already in his hands, church. It's, it's crazy. Uh, Judah said something and I, a thought came to me. It's crazy that we could see somebody literally brought back from the dead. We could see so many miraculous things. We could see, you know, we give testimonies about how, you know, in a moment, God broke things off of our hearts. He, he changed us in a moment. And still look at today's situation at the, at the current state of things and wonder, can God do it? That's crazy. Yeah. He's testifying to his faithfulness even when we're faithless. And the thing about God that he does not change, but he wants you to win. He wants you to win. Think about David. You, you, you read the Psalms and, and David is pouring out his heart. And so many times in the Psalms, David is saying, I can trust in you, Lord. I put my hope in you, Lord. Everything I have is in you, Lord. David knew God enough that he knew that he could trust him. He could put all his hope, all his adoration, all his desires in the Lord's hands because he knew that he was faithful. How about us? We know that he's faithful. You know, people run to you all the time and say, like, yeah, man. God been so good to me. He he done this, he done that. I'm like, yes, I know he has. Amen. What about you? How have you reciprocated that? And by large, most of us can say, no, we failed and we faltered. But the thing about God is that he wants us to win. He wants us to get it right. And he's teaching us. He's taking us by the hand and he's showing us how to do it, how to trust him. I'm going to make y'all laugh. That, that be, that's all right? Y'all just staring at me right now. Can I make y'all laugh? Come on, look at that smile. Look, come on. Let me tell you about the guy who gave me this smile. <laughs> all right. So, where does the, where, where the sun sit? What, what direction does the sun? West. West, right? All right, so I'm sitting at my desk. Our, our office faces uh, north, faces the Attic's Reservoir. And so, I'm getting back from work and everything is crazy. And it's like, like, I can hear the bombs going off in the Middle East right at my desk. And nothing's working. My computer's starting over and over. And I got a deadline in like five minutes, which was supposed to be like the day before yesterday or something like that. And nothing's going right. And so I'm thinking to myself, like, man, this is crazy. But God, I can trust you. I, I know this don't look good at all. I know I'm messing up. There's nobody else's fault. I'm messing up. But God, I, I know I can trust you. It, it's things just swirling all around me. Now, in my office, in my, at my desk, uh, we have a nice size window. You know, you can see the, and it's been a beautiful week. You know, I've been taking runs and all that kind of stuff, trying to get in shape. Uh, but you, you feel me? You can see, you know, you can see the sun, you know, you can see that the reservoir, and it's nice. I'm talking about it's beautiful. So I leave work, kind of reflecting about, you know, everything that's happened uh, throughout the day and, uh, you know, just what it means. And God, man, I'm, I'm really, I don't know. But then I'm, 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 I, get it, I get in my car and I'm headed home, driving west. And it's the biggest, the biggest uh, ray of sun coming down through the clouds. It's, it's just beautiful and all this kind of stuff. And I like that kind of stuff. Whatever. I don't care what y'all think. <laughs> but the Lord showed me in that moment, Jesus is still on the throne. I am eternal. This is what's behind you. It's temporary. It's temporary. I am the eternal God. And it took a split second for me to look up 
and realize that God was testifying through creation. And is that the, the crazy thing about it is that the sun was always there. But I had a, I had a big skyscraper blocking my vision uh, where I couldn't see. So I, I got a little bit of sunshine. I got, I got a little bit of the beauty, of, you know, of the, of the creation testifying, all that kind of stuff. But I didn't have it in its full radiance. And yet it was still there. Ain't we the same way? We, we, got, we got a little bit of the, the Lord's light shining on us. We, we, we know his promises. We know that he's good. But it's something blocking our, our, blocking our vision, blocking our, our perspective. It takes us getting out of that, getting out of that frame of thought, getting out of, you know, that thing that's trying to steal your trust in the Lord. It takes us walking out of that and walking towards the sun. You realize that he's always been there. You just, you just hadn't put yourself in the right position. If, if we can do anything tonight with, you, with just sharing the word and sharing the thing that God is doing in our lives, we want to put you in a position to where whatever, no matter what circumstance you're going through, no matter what's killing you, you know, what's seeking to, to snuff out your joy, snuff out your trust in the Lord, we want to put you in a position where you can realize that, that God is trustworthy, Amen. that he will move you to obedience out of, out of your knowledge of him. If he can do it for me, you've got to know that he can do it for you. I'm screwed up. Amen? <laughs> that's a horrible way to end that, but that's what the Lord gave me. <laughs> Revelations 5. Let's talk about that perspective. You realize something about, about John? And, uh, oh, John. I, I got I to get back to this. Whatever it is that's seeking to, to steal your trust in the Lord, no matter what it is, whether it's you, whether, whether you had a part in it, whether it's things coming against you, whatever it is that's trying to snuff that trust out, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go home, write it down, whatever it is, burn it, torch it. If you're looking for a torch, we got some brothers here who love cigars. We'd be happy to, to let you borrow a torch. Amen. But Amen. burn it. The same way that, that that covenant promise was burnt up when God made the promise to Abraham, burn it and trust him that he will do it. In Revelation 5, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him, Starting in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And I want you to, 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 to get inside this verse right now. I want you to Look at it with the first century uh, point of view, hermeneutics. Talking about John. He's seen, he, he's seen the evil of this world. He's seen all the, the bad things. He's seen, you know, all of his friends die gruesome deaths for testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he gets, to, to, he gets this vision in the, on the island of Patmos, and he's seeing that nobody is worthy to open that scroll because he knows what that scroll means. Now, this, the, the promise that we have was originally given to Abraham, to Isaac, to, to Israel. And we see that, that God is so faithful that he's preserved that, that promise in a people to this day. And I can tell you that they're right there now. They're at the Western Wall right now, crying, weeping, begging for Messiah, begging for Messiah to come, be begging to see Mashiach. They're opposed on every side. That right now, as we speak, 
they're opposed on every side and they're looking for him. They're looking for the one who, who, will, who will restore the kingdom of Israel. They're looking for the one who, who will come and make good those covenant promises. So put yourself in that position, in that anguish. And John is, is in th- this anguish. And he says, I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and his seven seals. In a moment, in a moment, John went from weeping to seeing the sun. That set everything right. The same with us. In a moment, if we can go from weeping and, you know, staying in our current situations, staying in that frame of thought, and we can see the sun, that sets it right immediately. That is salvation. Now, it's worth thinking about for a minute. We, We can't miss this. The brother's sharing a story, and he's saying that everything's going wrong in his life, that he's having issues, adversities, things that are just plain his fault, that he messed up. And he is sitting there, and when he saw the son, the S-U-N, he saw the S-O-N, son of God. Yeah. That he realized that his promise was up there, and that his problem in that moment was that he did not see it. In Revelation 5, John is weeping and weeping and weeping, and this apostle and elder that stood against the test of time, walked with Christ, is in this position. And you know what fixed his problem? He got heaven's eyes. He could see the sun. He could see that lion coming out. And that's what fixed his problems. So if you're in here and you think that you have a depression problem, you need to see the sun. If you think that you have a work problem, you need to see the sun. If you think you have an insurmountable family problem, you need to see the sun. If you have blindness and carnality in your life that you're struggling to fix, you need to see the sun. You see, there is no problem in here that we cannot cure with one simple thing. I assure you that if the apostle and elder John, who lived to see the things that he did, wrote letters about the seven churches, is weeping and weeping, and one thing could fix his problems, he can fix yours. Say, we need to see the sun. We need to see the sun. Our problem is our eyesight. Turn with me to 2 Kings 6. Word, but who's there? Are you there? So there's a man of God running around in Israel wreaking havoc on wicked kings, and they have these conversations about which one of you, who was it, you was it, you, Mandy? Which one of you told him my battle plans? Because the man of God was in touch with the king's plan. He knew what Jesus was saying, what he was doing. And when the king spoke in their own bedrooms, God would reveal to him what he needed to hear so that he could avoid their traps, so that he could topple kingdoms. He rose up kings. He did extraordinary things. This guy's having a bit of frustration at the moment. So pick up in verse 13. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. Good luck. (laughs) The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. Say strong force. Strong force. He didn't send the weak guys. He didn't see the running ones in the back. He sent a strong force. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Who in this room has ever felt surrounded? When he feels surrounded, does it... Feel like it's a weak force or is it always a strong force? Always a strong force. 
Let's look at how the servant responds. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Man, I have been there so many times where I'm looking at the things that are mounting all around me that are closing in. And I'm just like, Lord, what am I going to do? What is your prayer life like? Uh, Are you reactionary? Are you crying out? Lord, what do I do? Let's see what Elijah does. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Amen. So come on. Those of you who have been in church a while, you've heard this in Sunday school. On the little felt board, we have the chariots of fire. And don't you be afraid, little Johnny, because angels are protecting you. They were there the whole time. And the only difference between the servant, who is like us, who cries out, Oh, Lord, what do I do? And the man of God standing there is one could see and one could not. Tell me you need to see tonight. I need to see. See, Elijah didn't have to ask, what do I do? He knows what he was made for. Yeah. He was walking in the spirit and in touch with God. And he could see the circumstances differently. When he saw the opposition, he knew what God was doing in that moment. You see, when we find ourselves crying out, oh God, what do I do over and over again? You need his eyes. You need his character. We need to become the man of God who knows who and why he was made. See, you were put here for a purpose. And Elijah was a man like any other. David Hall has a calling and a function and a purpose in this place. And when we know what we are made for, we are operating in the spirit and searching the word. Like John 14, 26 says, the spirit will remind you of what to do. He will open your eyes and show you what to do, how to see. See, we need to look at the callings that he has placed here. The task that you have tomorrow when you go into work. When you come home with your family. What you're doing and where you're going over the next few years. And let God spark some courage and vision inside of us that we can accomplish it. Because he wants you to win. Yeah. We need to see with his eyes. When we see with his eyes, we are not going to fail. We're not going to be defeated. There are chariots of fire at Daniel Cho's disposal. Chariots of fire. See, nothing's going to overwhelm him. Amen. The only thing that overwhelms us is when we do not have the eyes of Christ and we don't know what's going on in the spiritual world. What we need is to hear from God. Stick to it. Label your function. Take it. Write it on a mezuzah. Let God build on it. Let him show you how to use it. But never let it go. Hmm. Be searching the scripture and have it on you like a sword. And be praying in the spirit on all occasions. And as you are moving, operating, and doing what he's called you to do, He will help you. There's been a few things that we've been kicking around. And they're truthful about all of us. When we read this, you might be able to think back to a couple times in your life when you were the man of God who had the courage and knew what to do in the moment. But we all have had plenty of moments where we were like, oh God, what do I do? Because we have no idea. We're not full of faith and we're scared. And our prayer life sounds that way. And it sounds great because we are praying. We we think that that we're, we're good. We're praying. But what God intended was for us to know him, to know the father's character. Some of us in the room have a tendency to jump without looking. And you land yourself in hot water in the church over and over again. I've been one of those many times. Some of you want to look over the edge, have a depth chart, stick in a thermometer, come back, pray, and wait for an audible voice from God before you're willing to take a step left or right. You see, the example that we have in the scriptures of men who prayed in the spirit on all occasions. See, it wasn't a set time. It wasn't they took a time out from life. 
It was that they breathed it, they were praying in tongues, that they prayed when they had a moment alone with the Lord, and that they were searching the scripture, and they knew what they were made for, and they had vision for the calling that they were given. See, nobody had to tell Elijah that he didn't need to be intimidated. He knew who he was. He knew what they were, and he knew who was behind him, and that was God saying, I want you to win, Elijah. Do you want to win? Yes. You got to realize that he wants you to win. You're looking at Elijah, and, and, and let's, let's, let's look at this. He's not reacting. It's, it's not reactionary. He's not like, oh, oh, what, what do I do? No, this is already who God is making him to be. He's responding to the, the situation. So I'm asking, what do you see tonight? What, what, what does your vision look like? What does your vision look like for who God is making you to be? How, how, how is he working into you and working and changing you to be the person that doesn't just, you know, come back, go to the hotel, find out what to say, then come back and realize that you missed the whole thing. You know, it's, it's been me many times. But he's working in you to be the person that he's already called you to be. These things are just flowing out of you. This is what we want to get to. I'm hoping right now that you are seeing, that you're realizing that if you can trust God enough to, to, to find out who he is, that he will make these things bubble out of you. One of my favorite scriptures, turn to Joshua 14. This is so boss. I, just, I, I love the way that he, that he says this. And uh, You can imagine him as like your old uncle or whatnot, but so much cooler than that. Caleb. He's talking to Joshua. In Joshua 14, 11. And even before this, he says, you know, you know what the Lord said about us. You, you know we still got it, right? He says, I'm still strong, as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the, then that the Anakites were there and the cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb and the sons of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since. Because he loved the Lord God, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Amen. This is one of a few of our favorite passages. I happen to be really partial to it as well. (laughs) It's extraordinary. Caleb doesn't begin to question if God still wants to do it. doesn't begin to question how. He understands the vision that God gave him. He understands his function. He understands his calling. And his circumstances, his physical strength, his prowess, see, it was not dependent upon his own right arm. It was dependent upon God's ability to fulfill the promise he made to him. This pastor starts out by him saying, you know yourself what God promised to me. He did it through the servant Moses. Yeah. And he still intends to go in and claim it. And he says, you know that they're large and fortified cities. He didn't say that it was easy. He didn't say that it was going to be a light, fluffy experience. This was a war. He was intending to go take a city. But he looked at that opposition and he saw it as an opportunity because he had God's eyes. He understood his calling. He understood his function. And he was operating in the spirit, which gave a man supernatural strength. And he went and he took that city. Hmm. At the end of this passage... He gets blessed by Joshua. Do you want a blessing? Yes. 
Not, not a blessing like some prosperity pimp. Like God blessing your household for being righteous. Like his approval on your life. Because I do. I really, really do more than anything else. You see, what Caleb trusted in above all else was in the favor of his God. That when he put forth faithful, righteous actions, that his God would deliver him. That it didn't matter if he was 80. That it didn't matter if it had been a long time ago that God spoke it. Or if it was in a desert. Or if it was large or fortified cities. What he knew is that that ground belonged to him. Come on, saints. Is there some ground in your life that belongs to you tonight that you have not yet taken? Is there some ground that belongs to you and your wife? Is there some ground that belongs to you in your workplace that we've been sitting back and waiting for when really we need to stop praying, get in gear, and go take it and ask him to help us as we do it? Amen. See, I want this church to be blessed. And we are going to continue to prophesy in services and learn to get it right. We are going to operate according to the word of God and be operating in the spirit. See, we're going to do both because we're men who are going to stand no matter the circumstances. See, this church was not built by the kind of means that you might think. It was built by three or four actual words from God. Not like I felt it, like he actually spoke it. And years and years of effort that is faith-filled. And the pastors will be the first to tell you. That much of the wisdom that they give you on a regular basis was not because they prayed and got it right every time. It's because they prayed, fought for it, and got it wrong about half the time, but learned as they went. See, we're all having to learn to personally reconcile with the fact that some things God has spoken to us and are certain. Many things we are working on, we think that we're prophesying accurately, and we have to be bold enough to say, I have messed up. I tell you that I've messed up quite a few things. But when we turn, we repent, we change things, and move forward in righteousness, that's when he begins to bless your life. That's when you begin to see cities fall. It's not by sitting back, wanting to make sure that you get it right the first time. Because, dear God, help me if I were to get it wrong. See, that's not pleasing and that's not faith. But when we can stand and say, I know what he made me for. And today, I'm going to show faithful action somehow. When I do this, I'm going to do it in faith, and I'm going to pray and ask him to bless it. And I'm going to keep working at it until I see sons redeemed, until I see people healed, until I see my relatives born again, until I see the Holy Ghost break out amongst people, until I see someone spirit-filled. See, ask the guys at the shop whether or not they pray about to witness to someone. (laughs) See, they know what they're made for, and they're going to inspire people to go after the vision that God has given them. What function has he given you and is your field to take right now? See, we need to stand up together in the vision that God has given us. Look and see the chariots of fire that are next to you, not the enemies. That's just an opportunity to strike something else down. See, we have testimonies brewing back here. There are going to be sons of righteousness that shake the earth. And we're going to speak about the days when God healed them again and again and again. We have daughters that are going to live pure lives in a wicked society. We're going to have men who take the gospel to the nations, who preach it in areas that no one else was able to go to or was too scared to get to because they might cut your head off. And in our local body, we are going to see the kingdom impact people's lives. But it starts by faithful, trusting effort. See, fear and trembling is something that we must work through. And we must fear and hate wickedness and hate it most of all in ourselves. But faith and trust is to trust that when you try to get it right and you're pushing towards the vision he has given you, that he will help you along the way. 
See, when you're put on trial, you're not even allowed to contemplate what you're going to say in advance. He said, I will give you what to say. See, the Spirit will put the words in your mouth when you show up and are who you were supposed to be. We need to know the Father. Yeah. We need to see what He sees and be revolutionized by Christ. My daily prayer at this point is that He would make me into the man that I'm supposed to be where I'm at. See, when that happens, I will know what to do. We need His character in our lives. And that's the difference between those who are crying out, God help me, and those who know who their God is and is helping them. Amen. So church, in response to that, it's something that you have to take. Rob, Brandon, Nick, Frank, Benny, you have to trust that God is making you into the, the person that fits the call. He's fitting you for the call right now. He's already doing. You have to trust and move in that. You have to trust and, and, and stretch out and try. And when you're trying, you're knowing that God is right there. He got his eyes on you. When you move like that, God will bless you. Let's talk about somebody uh, who needed a vision correction. Daniel 4. Turn to Daniel 4. 434. Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of that time, verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion and eternal dominion. His dominion is an, an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. This is a Gentile. This is somebody who hasn't been given the promise of God. And yet, when he, when he saw who God was, when he revealed his character to him, he praised him. And God got his mind right. We need to get our minds right. And in that, in that initial reaction, when everything's going wrong, when, when your family's not operating the way you would like it to, when, when the words didn't come out the way that you wanted them to, when... When you see that, that goal that God has set that you're going to be this, you're going to do this, and you don't know how you're going to get there, and that feeling of despair, you start to lose trust that God is going to do what he said he's going to do, you need to get your mind right. You need, you need to praise the most high, honor and glorify him, and he will give you that vision. He will give you that sight. His sanity was restored, and he began to see God's vision. Amen. So it begs the question. What is it when you don't have God's eyes? It's insanity. Yeah. See, the degree to which we are outside of the mind of Christ is the degree to which we are ensnared in sin and crazy. See, when you're having those crazy thoughts, what you need to do is look back up into heaven, ask God for his vision, and begin to go about your work in that way. Are you crawling through the plan of God in your life? Or are we walking through it like princes who are the kings of the world? See... When we speak about kings of the world, we're not speaking about the men in this kingdom. We're speaking about men who are sons who know their father well. You, you understand what I mean? Like they know his character. They're, they're, they have a seat of honor at the table. They're the crown prince. Because their father's character is inside of them and it's brought clarity of mind instead of insanity. We're just... Hit this one more time. It's 9 o'clock. You still awake with me? Yes. Depression. Insanity. Crazy thoughts that need to be taken captive. 
those things are answered by putting your eyes back on the Son of God. Yeah. And when you're having those, it's not just circumstantial. It's because your eyes are not on the Son of God. We can begin to see the earth beneath us in a righteous manner when he changes our eyes, but we must repeat that process again and again and again. We are going to renew our eyes so that we can look at the mud that is beneath our boots and see what it can become, what it will raise up into. God restored this man's sanity, and he can restore your sanity this evening. Just ask him. We're going to skip. We're going to read just a little bit of 2 Corinthians 6. So it says, it lists all the persecutions that they're enduring, the kind of things that we've been describing, hardships, distresses, beatings, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, purity, understanding, patience in the Holy Spirit, in sincere love, truthful speech, and in the power of God. See, they had weapons of righteousness in their left and right hands through glory and dishonor. What the apostles did is they brought the gospel to the nations. And they did it because they were familiar with whose pattern and whose standard. You've got to talk to me, church. Whose pattern and whose standard were they familiar with? But what is his name? Jesus. So the living, moving representation of God on earth, his very son, Jesus Christ, was who they got to know. So they are weapons of righteousness where the spirit of God, the word of God, and who embodied that on earth? Jesus Christ. The degree to which we can take on his characteristics, not just in the light, fluffy sense where we talk about being nice, we're speaking about reading the entirety of the Bible, learning to become like him and implicating it in our daily life. In John 8, Jesus says, I know the Father. And if I said that I did not know the Father, I would be a liar like you. And then he goes on and he describes Abraham wishing to see him. You see, Jesus' claim to fame was not that he operated like an automated bot and at every second he was told what to do. The way that he lived was because he knew the Father. He had heaven's eyes. He knew that his Father wanted him to win. When he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, he's not asking whether or not God wants him to go on the cross. He's asking, is there another way? And he begins to conform his will to his Father's. See, what we have to do tonight to see resurrection power, to see resurrection power in your life, is to begin to conform our will to the Father. Look and get his eyes and see it unleashed on this earth because he wants you to succeed in it. See, our workplaces are not just jobs. They are Jobs that we are going to work and be diligent and good at like Joseph. And it is your field and purview. It ought to be something that you're praying for vision for. It's the same with our families. The degree to which we learn the Father's character, it will determine everything in our life. See, but this ought to bring some hope that he wants you to win. It ought to bring hope when you think about the fact that it is not based upon you getting every word of a conversation right every detail of a scripture right. What it is based upon is the rate at which you are being transformed into his image. The way that you do that is by reading the word in its entirety, but learning to meditate on it day and night, praying in the spirit on all occasions, 
and He will remind you of what you need when you need it. Amen? Amen. Turn to James 1, church. Say there when you're there. Talk to me. James 1.16 says, Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father. The who? The Father. And not just the Father, but your Father, my Father. We have to get that view of God that he's not just God, that he's not just the Lord. Peter got this revelation, and he got it, before, he, he got it to the point where Jesus had to bless him and says, you're not getting this from man, you're getting this from God above. Get the revelation that he's not just a God. He's not just God. He's not just the Lord. That he's your God. That he's working in you and molding in you the character that he wants you to have. That you can trust him. Get that revelation driven down deep in your soul. It says every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father. It comes from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He's not changing. You can bet on him. We've been doing it for centuries. Haven't failed yet. You can bet on him. He is not circumstantial. That means he doesn't conform to, the, he doesn't conform to how I'm feeling. He doesn't conform to, to how I'm doing, to how I'm performing. He is who he is, and he's calling me up to be like him. Amen. This is the God that we serve, and we have a choice every day to be more like him. He is altogether worthy of our trust. He's altogether worthy of our love. And our obedience, they're not different. They're not separate. They're all the same. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. We indeed need to be continually washed in the spirit, rebirthed in that spirit. We need to strap the double-edged sword to be able to, to cut down the lies and the temptations of the devil like, like Jesus did in his early days in ministry. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he's created. Think about this. If Jesus, the perfect representation of the father, died for the father's will so that you could know the father. What do you think that same father is doing behind the scenes for you to be able to know him? You know, it wasn't just the his his heavenly angels that he dispatched in uh, second Kings. He sent his own son so that we might know him. Yeah. Don't you think that was for a purpose? Don't you think that was for a purpose? In your life, you got to grab hold of that. You got to learn to trust him and to, to walk in that trust. When, when the exact moment, when everything's going bad and you shouldn't, that's the exact moment that you should be trusting in the Lord with your mouth. Amen. St- starting from your house and using your mouth. Not just sitting silent like, you know, I, I trust God, but letting people know it because he's working that into you. Amen. Turn to Hebrews 7. We're going to begin to wrap it up. Hebrews 7, verse 14. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. (laughs) You look at most of us, in regards to our former life, he would have said nothing about priests. He would have said nothing about holy. But this is what he did. And what we said... And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Realize something that originally we 
Gentiles, we goyim, we weren't given this promise. But he has gifted us with this promise. It was a mystery. But now we've tasted of it and we have a responsibility to respond to that love. Not out of fear, not out of obligation, but out of love. Being and doing the things and being the people that he's called us to be. That's the responsibility that each one of you have. Yeah. And you, it's, it's up to you. It'd be one thing if you didn't, you know, if, if you... If you didn't, if you couldn't, you know, if it wasn't up to you, if the circumstances had to be right, if the, the stars had to align, that'd be one thing. But the thing is, it's up to you. You get to choose how you respond. You get to choose that if I want to know him, if I want to know him more, he's going to reveal himself to me more. If I want to serve him out of love and not, if I want to serve him as a son and not as a slave, that he will do the work in your heart and he will defend you and show you every way how to walk. He's going to do that in your life when you trust him. When you, when you seek him, you'll be found by him. You know, C.T. Studd really said this best. He said, what we need is not neat little biblical confectionaries. What we need is white, hot men who are going to swing with a left and a right hand mm-hmm. that in a furious manner are going to take the things that have put at their disposal and go to work with it. See, the scripture that brother just read, it's up to us and he is providing everything that we need. In Acts 2, Peter stands up and he addresses a crowd with the 11. In Acts 4, he does it again, but, and it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. What we need in our lives right now, more than anything else, it's not for any circumstance to be different. It's that for something inside of your soul to begin to stir it up that says, I want to give it all for Jesus. I want to give him everything that I have. And tomorrow, I'm going to go in swinging. I'm going to go in with all that I have, with white hot fury. I want to see the kingdom break out. Say it with me. It's a fixed fight. It's a fixed fight. Because he wants you to win. You're walking into an arena that you have already been granted victory for. The lion has triumphed. That was a promise as well as a statement. That Jesus Christ has already paid for you to win. But something is in your soul that has got to be stirred up that says, I want to let it out. I want to let that zeal out. I want to let the word of God and the spirit of God go to work on the world around me. Is something starting to stir up in your soul, Rob? Tonight, we have got to have the power of God move in us. And the only way to get more of him is to be hungry for him. Matthew 5 lays this out. Those who hunger and thirst will be filled. Is anybody in this room hungry and thirsty? Say, I want to see the kingdom break out. I want to see children born that are healthy. I want to see our current babies filled with life and healed. We want to win. And so does our God. The only thing that we have to do is get into this ring. For our final scripture, go to Acts 7 and we'll see how they walk this out. Let's read Acts 7. 